Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And I am Igor. Hey, Igor, you're back. Yes. It's been a while. <laughs> it's been a while. I uh, I bet you can't do that voice for the whole podcast. You're probably right, Master. <laughs> oh, I like being called Master. <laughs> this uh, issue slash episode is the Uncanny X-Men number 177, which has a cover date of January 1984, was on sale October 11th of 1983. The cover price was 60 cents. It's still editor, assistant editor month, and uh, this one's titled The Sanction. That's all I got for you. Sanction! <laughs> oh, uh, the cover, though, is... Uh, this is very disappointing. I thought you were you could at least go yup in an Igor voice. Oh. Yup. <laughs> Sanctions. The cover of this issue is... Um, oh, my gosh. Jeremy. Oh, sorry. I, I pushed that little Igor aside, and I said, you will not take my podcast away from me. You. No, 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 no. That's not what I'm talking about at all. This cover. Oh my gosh, Jeremy, this cover. What What about it? It looks like Wolverine killed Kitty. Okay, so a couple of things I want to say is that the the, the drawing of Wolverine's pretty good. Um, you can definitely tell who he is. Nice well, this, shadows. This right? is classic John Romita inking John Romita. Yeah. Um, uh, the cover in and of itself is totally misleading in my opinion based on the uh, content of the story no i think this is actually it, it's it, it's purposely misleading but it actually works within the context of the comic book no adam you're wrong and secondly how can you be sure that this is kitty uh i see what you're saying because <laughs> it looks <laughs> nothing like kitty all right so it's wolverine killing a woman it is a woman and and if I'm a longtime X-Men reader, I buy this comic book and I'm like, who did X or who did Wolverine kill? No, you know that's Kitty. That's, I don't know. How do I know that that's Kitty? Because who else could it be? Some random woman? They don't do that. Yeah, well, that's my point is that she's not wearing a uh, Sprite costume. Uh, she she her hair is very puffy. It's not very Kitty Pride like. There's nothing, there are no visual clues as to this character's identity, which is fine, right? Okay, well, who is this woman? And and we could open the book and we could find out, right? And then even on the first page, you see, and I'm just going to spoil it right now, you see Wolverine attacking Mystique. So you're like, oh, maybe the woman on the cover is a Mystique, uh, you know, uh, 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 she turns into people, you know, the thing. Illusion. You know what I just noticed about this cover? What? Wolverine wears a belt. Now, what do you wear a belt for? Keeping my pants up. Right. Wolverine doesn't wear pants. <laughs> so why does Wolverine have a belt? 
Doesn't Wolverine always wear a belt? He does. Oh, okay. but why? Why does he have a belt? Well, I'll, I think all the X Men have belts. I mean, if uh, Cyclops has a belt, Colossus has a belt. Yes, but uh, some of their belts uh, serve purposes. Like they hold stuff. This belt is clearly your like um, I don't know J Crew belt. Do you know who doesn't have a belt? Um, I I don't know. Nightcrawler. Nightcrawler. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Nightcrawler doesn't have a belt. And his costume kind of looks a little silly. I think you need the belt to to give you the contrast from the top and the bottom. So I think it's a it's so a, nearly a, a visual trick, and, and it's aesthetic, but it serves no purpose. Correct. Now, Wolverine's belt is particularly annoying on this cover because it it really does look like a belt that I could buy at a just uh, a, a clothing store. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Huge old belt buckle, and it's got the the little nub that sticks through the belt hole to keep it up. Yeah. It should have, at the very least, just have an X on it, right? Like, let's just stay with the motif. Something. Yeah. It's got to be, like, something that makes it so that you couldn't buy it at a at a store. I'm with you. All right. So I, I'll, I guess I'll give in and, and, and uh, concede that the woman on the cover is Kitty, even though she's got, like, purple lipstick. And I don't recall Kitty ever wearing purple lipstick. It's a very 80s style cover. Yeah. Oh, all right. So... We open up this thing and we... I suppose it could be Dazzler. Dazzler doesn't have brown hair. No. But I mean, it could be Dazzler with miscolored hair. But other than other than the hair color, it could be Dazzler. It could very well be. And in, if not for the skin color, it could be Storm. Right. <laughs> well, no, because Storm, Storm has a mohawk. You're right. So it would be skin color plus hair. Right. Well, maybe uh, Storm's wearing a wig. And just got skin dye on. This is definitely not Storm. It's definitely not Rogue. It's, I mean, by by process of elimination, it's got to be Kitty. Yeah. All right. If you say so. Uh, so let's open up this thing. And, and what we do is we find ourselves in a uh, circus. Carnival. Carnival. Amusement park. Uh, and it's basically Mystique narrating herself. She used to love the... The amusement park or carnival. Um, the- In gentler days, I loved the circus destro. <laughs> and as she's walking through the circus, uh, Wolverine jumps out from nowhere behind her and gets ready to attack. And that's where we read you the credits. Chris Claremont is the writer. John Romita Jr. is the penciler. John Romita Sr. is the inker. Tom Orzakowski is the letter. Glennis Ween is the colorist. Elliot Brown... <laughs> Whoever that guy is. <laughs> I told uh, you, it's, it's assistant editor month. The editor. Jim Shooter's the editor-in-chief. And Virginia Romita was the traffic manager. So Virginia, sister, mother, wife, daughter? I'm going to go with John Romita Sr.'s wife. So I would have hedged my bets on that and said, I'll bet you it's John Romita's wife. Okay. Because <laughs> <laughs> then you get two for one. That's true. That's true. You're a smart man. (laughs) I try. So, yeah, so we go on to the next page. Wolverine's attacking. Mystique is executing some evasive maneuvers to get out of Wolverine's way. My kick would have broken the neck of an ordinary man, Destro. But this X-Man's bones are laced with adamantium. Virtually unbreakable, even, Destro. Mm. Some things about his claws... They're razor keen, pure metal. They can cut steel girders with ease. But for all his skill and power, I can slit his throat. 
which nowadays would not kill Wolverine. Yeah, so Mystique pulls like a knife out of her glove or something. It's like a little claw of her own sticking out of the bottom of her glove that slits Wolverine's throat and he goes, uh, he falls to the ground next to a ticket stand and Mystique is gloating. No bones to stop my blade and even your mutant healing factor won't prevent your bleeding to death. Uh-uh. So now she's, she's, she's kind of a Dracula-esque woman now to me. <laughs> that works. <laughs> Okay, I guess now maybe sort of you're like, oh, <clears throat> the woman on the cover is Kitty, even though the woman on the cover of this comic book is wearing yellow and pink and like maroon. This woman is wearing all blue, but she does it's, have the headband. It is the same outfit, though, but it's just a completely different color. Yeah. It's the gloves, it's the shoulder, the exposed shoulder, the headband. Just the color, the cover colorist and the interior colorist did not get together to talk about this. Not on the same page. No. So she, Kitty, she phases through the, the ground and, uh, you know, similarly, Mystique kind of gives a little bio of Kitty. What was Kitty doing underground? Well, you know, she was hunting. Just running around under the circus. Adam, we'll we'll soon find out that most of this just doesn't matter, right? So, I mean. <laughs> uh, yeah, well. <laughs> You, as I was when I was reading, it was like, why are all of the X-Men doing these things and being killed? Because I'd never actually read this issue before. Really? No. How, how could you have read all of the X-Men up to a certain point and not read this issue? There's a story there. I want to know what it is. <laughs> uh, I, yeah, I don't know, Adam. I, I, I have read from issue 150 to issue 250, but out of my own collection. And I never had this comic until very recently. But you have the essentials. Uh, okay. Eh, I don't. I do. You're right. I do have the essentials. I probably did read this in essentials format. But like I said, like I don't remember anything that I read in the essentials. In essentials, you could definitely tell that it was Kitty because the coloring would be the same on the cover as in the interior. I'm with you, but I don't remember. I mean, I remember physically having the the, the pages in my hand and flipping through them, and I do recall. Uh, uh, viewing the words on the pages, but I don't remember the contents of what I read. So you were reading this and you were like, oh my God, the X-Men are dead. This time around, yeah. No, They're, not really. Wolverine's dead. I was like, some sort of trickery is afoot. <laughs> because uh, as Kitty goes to check on Wolverine, we find out that Wolverine is actually Mystique. So Mystique took the took the time to move Wolverine out of the way and replace herself in there. And she pops her claws into Kitty and kills Kitty. I have a problem with this. Yeah, me too. Mystique uh, is removing one of Wolverine's gloves. Oh, yeah. So the idea is that the claws came from the gloves? Mm, no. So I guess what it would be is that um, she took wolverine's clothes and put them on her powers are very inconsistent right so it seems like she can kind of shape shift into whatever she wants clothes uh included or clothes not but well, right. she she definitely did not put his clothes on because she she sh like in the neck in the panel where she's taking off his glove she is half mystique half wolverine mm -hmm. so she doesn't have his clothes on but she is taking off she does have his glove on so yeah that's a really good point um, and in, in the in the panel above that, she clearly has the three claws. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I'm I'm with you. Uh, but but I've seen this before where Mystique. Well, even in the movie, Mystique was able to shape shift into Wolverine's claws. Now the movie 
not necessarily comic canon, but I've seen this in the comics as well. And that doesn't seem to be... Um, okay, I buy that. I, I can don't. totally buy that. I don't find that consistent. But why is she wearing Wolverine's glove? Well, Adam, one thing at a time. Like, let's deal with <laughs> Kitty being killed by Mystique's oh, yeah. Wolverine claws. By the way, Wolverine uh, slash Mystique just killed Kitty. Yeah, let's let's not gloss over that, Adam. Kitty is dead. Um, to me, it would be like Mystique would be able to shapeshift and emulate Wolverine's claws, but those claws would be uh, at the best, like like a calloused skin. But it wouldn't be metal, I don't think. Because if she could shape shift into metal, why doesn't she just like jump off of buildings and turn herself into like safes and land on people, <laughs> and then shape shift back out and be like, that didn't hurt at all because I was a safe. Well, like the T one thousand, she can't emulate complex machinery. A safe isn't complex, Adam. It's a box with a door on it. The door doesn't well, even have to work in this case. All it has to do is be metal and heavy. The safe itself is is complicated, but No, it's a box, Adam. <laughs> the, 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 the the door. The, the door is complicated. No, it, the door doesn't work on the combination lock that's on the front. It's for aesthetics purpose only. It doesn't move. Like Actually, if, somebody, if a T one thousand emulates the safe, does he emulate the weight of the safe? Well, now you're getting into physics. So I would say no that if you're a hundred and fifty pound T one thousand Whatever you emulate is also going to be 150 pounds. Mm. So the same, I think, should hold true for uh, Mystique. Whatever she shapeshifts into is basically just uh, her mass being sh- sh- uh, shifted around, but it wouldn't be an increase nor a decrease in mass. In any event, I don't see it being plausible that she could shapeshift claws that would have uh, the stabbing capability of killing somebody. I do think she could sit there and be like, um, I'm Wolverine Destro, snick it. And somebody being like, oh my God, that crazy female Wolverine's got claws and then run away. Well, or she could have, I mean, uh, another thing is she could have used her deadly spike that yeah. she used uh, to kill Wolverine. Oh, that's a good point. good point. But it's clear that she's not doing that. So, I mean, I guess we agree that there are many flaws with this page. And then you're right. that When she's, she's shape-shifting back to Mystique and she's pulling off Wolverine's glove, you're like, well, what is this? Why did she have that glove if she can shape-shift into Wolverine's clothes? Are we uh, insinuating here that the Wolverine's claws come from the glove? But we already um, know um, in comics unless, canon that that's not true. Unless somehow um, whoever is, has arranged this... Uh, battle between mystique and the x-men doesn't know something about wolverine but i guess we can talk about that later oh so maybe this glove was like planted in the circus and mystique found it and she's like well this will come in handy yeah maybe okay all right well just as she's celebrating her uh uh defeat uh or victory i should say over kitty and wolverine somebody from behind her yells murderer well yeah and And as as he would well, and she did. Yeah, he's not wrong. See, I was because it's all red and stuff. I was I assumed it was Cyclops, but no, it's not Cyclops. Right, because the something blows up behind, um, Mr. which makes sense because we know that Cyclops is in is is lost in uh, on a plane with right. Madeline Pryor anyway. Yeah, they are so, they are so doing it. So he wouldn't he wouldn't be here. No, and we turn <clears throat> we turn the page and we find out that it is actually Colossus who is like, "Why would you hurt that child? I'll kill you." Well, he doesn't say I'll kill you. Well, he wants to though. Uh, you know, he he won't though. <laughs> 
No one forced her to join the X-Men. She knew the risks. The Russian loves Kitty. His emotions, his grief and rage make him careless. My flare skull explodes on contact, bright as the sun. Its heat scarring and melting Colossus's armored skin. Hmm. Holy crap. So Mystique has like a little Batman skull utility belt. And one of those skulls is flare, flare explosion. A flare just does a flare skull doesn't sound as dangerous as like maybe a grenade skull. <laughs> yeah. But anyways, this this is pretty deadly. Like there's smoke and stuff coming off a of psych or I mean Colossus's face as he buries his uh presumably melting face in his hands. I wouldn't think a grenade would kill Cycl- uh, Colossus, but um no. I guess I guess I guess it would. No. Nah, yeah, I, I don't think it would either. Uh, but then she is zapped in the back, and that's when she thinks to herself, Cyclops. So apparently, he took a vacation from his vacation to come take out Mystique. Oh. Optic blast nearly snapped me in two. Must reach the cover. So she runs into the fun house, as you do. For all the pain, that shot was only meant to stun. And it is Cyclops. And I gotta ask you, Adam, is this, like, classic Cyclops? <laughs> It sure is like a uh, fancy running Cyclops. <laughs> he, he's all like, Colossus, don't follow her in there. That's what she wants. Yeah, his his visor seems uh, like classic bubbly um, visor. Uh, this is, this is, yeah, yeah, you're right. This, that, that's, that's, a, that's maybe a nice touch. Uh, maybe, I don't know. I mean, it's like uh, not not like uh, pre X Men ninety four visor, but it's like X Men ninety four visor. So I don't know. Maybe I'm just nitpicking, or maybe maybe this is how John Romita Junior just likes to draw Wolverine's mask, all bubbly. Cyclops, uh, whoever, someone's mask. <laughs> Cyclops. So yeah, Cyclops. He runs into the fun house and uh, he goes into the room of mirrors and Colossus and uh, Mystique are just everywhere. Oh no, Mystique knows what's going on. She milks the moment. She takes deliberate, slow aim. And Cyclops sees her take slow aim, and he shoots. But he ends up, uh, his his stun passes harmlessly through a holographic projection, bounces off the mirrors, and into a carefully placed amplifier module that amplifies the strength of the beam a hundredfold, making it powerful enough to penetrate anything. To which I say, force beam... Yeah, it's a force beam. Uh, can you, wouldn't that just knock him over more? <laughs> well, it is such a force that it punches right through Colossus. Uh, okay, fine. <laughs> so it's not heat, it's, it is all force. And so he has inadvertently murdered Colossus, and while he's wallowing in his own misery, Mystique cold-bloodedly comes up from behind him with a, with a choke string and strangles Cyclops to death. Mystique changes costumes. <laughs> For no reason whatsoever, she changes from her classic white and skull uniform to like a purple outfit, which is weird. And she's thinking to herself, ah, I'm doing better than I expected, Destro. Oh, this is her uh, specially designed combat suit. Uh, I don't know why she needs it, but she turns, uh, she, she changes into it just as Storm uses her weather powers to sweep Mystique up into the air. It must be a Storm-specific combat suit, because why would she put it on after killing half the X-Men? Yeah, I think you're right, because uh, as Storm goes to use her uh, lightning bolts, um, 
Mystique is like, I'm ready for you. And her suit is absorbing all of the power. She's able to convert that into her own energy, which she's able to zap back at Storm. Storm easily dodges it, but that wasn't the point. The point was to hit the gasoline truck behind Storm, disintegrating Storm through the blast. By the way, Jeremy, Storm no longer has a mohawk. Oh, good point. We missed this. This is old costume with the headdress and uh, no, no mohawk. Oh, that's weird. I mean, why would why would Storm why why would Cyclops leave his honeymoon and why would Storm like be wearing a wig at the carnival? The, something seems really familiar about this, Adam. Yeah, yeah. Mm, I I can't put my finger on it, but hmm. well, anyways. Well, the blast is so powerful that it pushes Mystique back, and she goes flying through one of the big tops, and uh, she lands in the trapeze court where she starts doing acrobatics of her own. I wish I could stay up here forever. So apparently this is where she feels comfortable and free. La, 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 la. Rogue. Uh, she she shows up and she takes down one of the support beams for the trapeze court and she's not very happy with Mystique. Why so shy, Mystique? How about you drop down here where the action is? I don't want to hurt you, Rogue. I raised you. You're as dear to me as my own flesh and blood, Destro. I'm an X-Man and I gotta avenge my friends. So... All right, I'll shoot you. So, yeah. Mystique shoots uh, Rogue and kills Rogue, disintegrates her, it looks like. And I howl like a mad dog, savaged by emotions I thought I'd put behind me decades ago. And uh, then we get a panel of her howling like a mad dog. Arr! Yeah, it, it does. she's in pain. She did not want to do that, but, but she had to, so, so she did. And that's when Nightcrawler finally shows up. He teleports in, and he's like... Okay, fasten your seatbelt, Mystique. Because this is going to be a very rough ride. And he teleports her all over the place. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times. Well, interestingly enough, most people that go through a ride like that are disoriented and nauseous after such a trip. But not Mystique. This... This trip that Nightcrawler just took her on doesn't affect her at all. In fact, she's able to elbow him in the solar plexus and pull out a knife, and she's getting ready to stab him, but she hesitates for some reason. What do you think this all means? Adam, I don't, she, I don't know. She, is on, she isn't affected by his teleportation, mm. and she hesitates. I, mm. I, I don't know. She, she probably just likes him because he's got blue skin. <laughs> She's like, I feel for you. Well, Nightcrawler, none the wiser about what's going on, uh, punches Mystique in the face. There should be a sound effect here, and it would be patang. <laughs> because Mystique has a metal face. She's she got a metal jaw. <laughs> and so she blacks out. She wakes up, and she's in an apartment with her good old friend, Irene Adler, a.k.a. Destiny. Better. <laughs> yeah. And Mystique's like, that swine didn't pull his punch. I'm lucky my jaw isn't broken. Lucky I'm supposed to be alive. She's referring to Nightcrawler. So Nightcrawler is the only X-Men alive now. Yeah. Irene's like, well, you did well. <laughs> Six kills out of seven. <laughs> <laughs> and she's, I've, yeah, she's, she failed. I've, I failed, Irene. I could slay my foster daughter without a second, but not 
Nightcrawler. What does that mean, Jeremy? What does this all mean? I don't know, Adam. I don't know. I don't think we ever find out either. It's certainly not for hundreds of issues of the X-Men. <laughs> the, the, refer- the references are fairly clear, but we will not discover the answers in Chris Claremont's run. I think you're right. Um, well, I know you're right. Uh, certainly not in this first run. I don't I don't even know if, uh, about the second run. I think, I think in that horrible run by that one guy that everybody calls the worst X-Men writer of all time. Joe Casey? Is it Joe Casey? I think maybe in Joe Casey's run, that's when we figure out the stuff. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we don't want to spoil anything here, Adam. Yeah, you know, <laughs> let, so let's not do it. <laughs> exactly. Anyways, so Irene, she's all like, I warned you, Raven. But what good is it to being a precog if no one listens? Woe is me. And that's when Arcade enters the room. What? D- yeah. Pardon- no joke. <clears throat> He's got a big old bow tie. Pardon the intrusion, ladies, but a performance like Mystique's deserves a celebration. I'm impressed. Best darn murder world duel I've seen in ages. By the by, you'll remember my assistant, Miss Locke. That piece of dialogue was unnecessary. (laughs) It was all very unnecessary, but at least it gives me an opportunity to talk like Arcade. I really had the pumpkin you bumping towards the end there, Misty. Looks like, to me, like my robotic. I'm trying to do a combination Southerner slash Joker. It's not working. Yeah, I just settled on mine. It's it's way easier to pull off. And it's just, it's it's a lot like Rogue's. Yeah, it's basically the male version of Rogue. I don't have the, you know, the graveliness, the natural graveliness that uh, uh, Joker had in his performance. And uh, I I don't think you can manufacture that. I think you're either born with that or you're not. Well, he wasn't really born with it. He had to, he had to work it in. Oh, well, maybe he just did like a lot of lemon juice and maybe he, he screamed a whole bunch. It was, uh, who was the guy that played Shaggy in the Scooby-Doo movies? Oh, uh, yeah, that guy. Uh, I can't remember his name. He was in... I don't, uh, I don't either. Uh, Matthew Lillard? Matthew Lillard. He said that he would like, like go into a closet and just scream and scream and scream and scream. And I don't know if he was like, like pinching his throat at the same time while he was screaming, just so that he could get it so raw that when he came out to actually do the performance he'd have that voice wow and let me tell you jeremy after seeing those movies it was worth it i, I the first scooby-doo movie was pretty good i didn't see the other ones but yeah if you're like six no if you're awesome <laughs> it was pretty terrible i don't remember i just remember being impressed by him there was a lot of in jokes uh i i liked the first scooby-doo i'll admit it i'm not proud i don't care <laughs> don't judge me I'm judging you. No, okay. Well, anyways, Arcade, uh, so this was all a big, oh my God, murder world duel. The X-Men aren't dead. That explains Storm. That explains Cyclops. I suppose that could even explain Wolverine's glove. Maybe Arcade thinks that Wolverine's claws come out of his, well, no, they, no, that can't be because Mystique even said his claws come out of his, let's see, what did she say? His claws are... Well, she doesn't say anything specifically about his claws coming out of of his his being a part of his body. So maybe she doesn't know. Yeah, she just says they're like razor sharp or something. Well, razor um, keen, razor keen. Yeah, yeah. He he. Uh, yeah. So they have a little chat. Um, but apparently, the, this whole thing uh, is arcade is very happy because I think 
Uh, Mystique is paying Arcade for this. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's It's a training exercise. So he's like, I don't care. I'm getting money and I get to watch a great show. I'm a winner no matter what. And uh, yeah, so she she is training for uh, a potential upcoming battle with the X-Men. Now, Adam, this jogged my memory just a little bit. Um, and uh, I uh, want you to tell me what you think about the whole mastermind interaction with Mystique that we had like six or seven issues ago that seems to have been completely dropped. Mastermind had an, a, an interaction with Mystique? Don't you remember? Mystique had a dream that she was being chased by Jason Wingard and Phoenix. Oh, yeah. And why would you just randomly put that in there unless Mastermind was up to some dirty tricks with Mystique? Otherwise, mm-hmm. that's a very, very random dream for Mystique to be having. And Mystique was definitely having that dream. It wasn't like a weird precog thing. I think she was dreaming. I think she woke up and she went and talked to Irene and Irene said something. I don't remember what. <laughs> Go back to sleep, honey. <laughs> I'm eating prunes. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't know. But but there was something uh mastermind and storm or I mean uh, Mystique related. Well, uh, assuming that Chris Claremont knew he was going to go in this direction with Mystique and the Brotherhood and and whatnot, then perhaps he had plans to tie it all together and he abandoned them. That's what I'm going to go with. Well, you know what I think, and and I think maybe we've even confirmed this in other issues, but I really think that um, the artist leads the story and Chris just fulfills like kind of gives like the general like here's where I want to go and I'll do the dialogue. Because it would almost seem as though, based on the last couple of issues that we had, <clears throat> that when John Romita Jr. came in, he's like, I don't want to do the storyline. <laughs> like, I want to do something different. And they're like, okay, well, let's wrap it up and uh, move on to something else. I I, I don't know. Cause I, but I, 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 w- I would guess that that's not true. I but, feel like we've but, seen similar uh, dra- uh, 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 quick story changes when we switched over to like Paul Smith and whoever we got after John Byrne, et cetera. It just seems like, obviously, they want to go in their own direction and do their own story and, and whatever. But it seems like whatever they were working on just is like, well, okay. And that's over. Let's move on to this other thing. Yeah, but that might play a, into a part of it. But I, I'm, I'm guessing that Chris Claremont has more to do with the stories than, than I, than, than, than you give him credit for. Maybe I read a, uh, an interview with Jim Lee who worked with Chris Claremont, as you, you may recall. And, on one of the first books that Jim Lee worked on with Chris Claremont, he was like, uh, Chris Claremont's like, what do you want to do? And this is when the X-Men are in Australia and they're presumed dead and everything. Spoilers, everybody, but not for a long time. <clears throat> and uh, Jim Lee came in and said, I want to do something with Wolverine, Captain America, and Black Widow, but I don't think you can do that because of the way the wol- uh, because of the way the X-Men are. And Chris was like, eh, don't worry about it. <laughs> You just draw it. <laughs> and so Chris Claire and then J- Jim Lee drew that issue. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. but Yeah, I remember. It's a great cover. It's a great cover, but you're like, in context, it doesn't make any sense. And, and the reason for that is because Jim Lee's like, I want to do this. And Chris Claremont's like, all right. And off they went. So I don't know if maybe, maybe Chris Claremont's like the easiest guy in the world to work with. I may have mentioned this before, <clears throat> but I recently saw the script for Fantastic Four number one. Yeah. It's literally a page and a half. <laughs> okay, well, but that's like, <laughs> and, and maybe maybe that's just Stan Lee. Yeah, and and you know, classic Stan Lee just is like, okay, this happens, this happens, this happens, go, <laughs> make magic, Kirby. 
<laughs> I got to work on the Avengers now. I guess I guess Fantastic Four number one would have been simultaneous with Spider-Man, but pre-Avengers X-Men and Hulk and all that stuff, though. Yeah, he was probably still doing cowboy and romance comics though, at the time. Yeah. Yeah, probably. In any event, um, uh, Arcade bids Mystique adieu and heads off. He, he mentions that one of the heroes in the program was uh, programmed to kill so that and that's that's part of the deal oh right and uh, mystique's like who was it destro i mean arcade which x-men was it that was going to kill me the obvious one cupcake rogue what hey, do you think who, who's the all right all right all right guy uh matthew mcconaughey matthew mcconaughey should play arcade in the next x-men mm-hmm. i feel like matthew mcconaughey is too tall for arcade and I also feel like we're quite a ways away from an arcade uh, movie. Well, scrap Apocalypse, and yeah. uh, the next movie is X-Men Arcade, and it'll be Michael McConaughey in a... Matthew uh, McConaughey. Matthew McConaughey in a star-making performance. Well, he's already a star. <laughs> and a star-continuing performance, and he'll be, like, central to the movie. Oh, I mean, imagine it. You got McConaughey, you got Fassbender, you got... Uh, other guy that's kind of popular right now, uh, <laughs> Professor X. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Hugh Jackman. Yeah, could be in his his last last role. Um, his yeah, it's okay. gonna be good stuff. Uh, you know, I'd go to watch that. Like they could use CGI to shrink him. They they'd have to because Arcade seems to be kind of a short dude. Although that never matters. I mean, look at Kevin Kevin Bacon looked nothing like Sebastian Shaw. Well, right, and look at uh, look at Hugh Jackman. He's like five feet too tall to be Wolverine. Yeah. Anyhow, uh, so Mystique, after Arcade leaves, is like, he doesn't like losing, and each match is going to be harder and deadlier than the last one. But that's what I want. Why are you looking at me like that, Irene? This vendetta you plan against the X-Men is a mistake. Yeah. Mystique? Mistake. What did I say? (laughs) That's so similar. I'm going to go watch... My stories now. <laughs> Basically, Mystique is training because she wants revenge on the X-Men because she blames the X-Men for stealing Rogue away from her. If she's with the X-Men, it's because Xavier Forster with his accursed telepathic powers. He's manipulating her mind. Yep. She knows better than that. Yeah, now she's blinded by, you know, emotion and rage and all that star stuff. Um, We switch our attention over to Stevie Hunter's dance studio. Oh, wait, wait, we got some what? important dialogue here. Oh, right, right, Destiny's right. all like, Raven, have you considered the cost? You could not harm a facsimile, Nightcrawler. How will you fare against the man himself if he's killed? Be dot, dot, dot. Be silent, woman. Mention him again, Destiny, at your own peril. The X-Men have my child, and if I have to slaughter them all to rescue her, then I shall. So she's referring to Rogue as her child. Mm -hmm. I don't know what this... Maybe Nightcrawler was her brother. Well, I'm I'm very curious about this if he's killed dot, dot, dot. Oh, do you think that's like some sort of a precog thing? Yeah, it's like some sort of prophecy or something we'll have to watch uh when next the x-men fight the brotherhood of evil mutants to see if maybe nightcrawler is like really close to death to see if this was a prophecy hey i noticed that uh you are also blue would you like to start a blue person group (laughs) 
Uh, I was thinking of a blue man group, but, uh, well, you know, you woman, I'm a man, so blue person group. You can, you can shapeshift so you could be a man. And bald. We should all be bald. <laughs> and yeah. we, we'll play the drums. So we switch our attention over to Stevie Hunter's dance studio where Kitty needs a few moments with Stevie to to have a conversation about someone she knew so well but now seems to be a complete stranger. I, I think I could get Beast in the group. <laughs> Stevie's not dumb. She's like, you mean Aurora? There's no Archangel yet, but he could join um, our Apocalypse, he's mostly blue. He could be like the fifth guy. I know Cookie Monster. <laughs> Stevie's like, it's only a hair gut, a haircut for goodness sake, and a change. A hair gut. A, hair, a haircut for goodness sake, and a change of wardrobe. What's so terrible about that? It's more Stevie, don't you understand? She's changed on the inside as well. The Aurora I know isn't there anymore. That's when Storm walks in and she's like, what is going on right here? What do you think has taken her place? A monster? Compared to what she once was, maybe so. In your face! <laughs> I'll just burn you! Kitty. I gotta go get dressed. <laughs> I will wait for you. I'm gonna go out the back. <laughs> I don't really want to be seen with you. I will phase through the back door. And Storm looks off to Stevie and is like, monster. Actually, I just noticed for the first time, Storm reaches to, to stop her. Oh, right. She phases through her. Yep. I didn't notice that before. Yep. So, yeah, Storm knows that she can't stop Kitty in this panel. So Kitty keeps on going. Storm has a little conversation with Stevie about the whole change up and everything. Be patient. She'll get over it. That solves her problem, but the truly terrifying thing in all of this, Stevie, is that I fear I may well be, or I fear she may well be right. Dun, dun, dun. Meanwhile, 26,000 miles, literally straight up from Stevie's, the Star Jammer maintains synchronous orbit around the Earth. Maintaining geosynchronous orbit around Earth? Star Jammer. <laughs> <laughs> Making out with Lalandra on the Star Jammer. Yep. They're kissing and stuff. And Lalandra's like, I gotta go fight a war. You should come with me. Yeah, I would, but I'm not gonna. X-Men, New Mutants, you know. Get, get the start of this whole thing. <laughs> things to do. People to see. Don't really care about your whole war. I'll miss you, though. I mean, and kind the of sex. A douche. Sex is, was awesome. Especially when I got the use of my lower... Uh, uh, extremities, you know that that was when it really, really started taking off for me. Except that I kept giving out in the middle of it. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so um, be true to our love. Come back to me. I shall, Charles, if need be, from the gates of hell itself. Because in space we have hell. Everybody has hell. Yeah. And so Corsair is also bidding farewell to Alex and Scott. So I guess. Scott is done with his honeymoon, or he took a little vacation from his vacation to get up to the Star Jammer. I like how Alex says nothing. <laughs> he is kind of like the the really bad actor on a show that they're drastically trying to write off. I'm here because I'm a Summers brother, but I have no dialogue. They couldn't even be like, I love you, Dad, or I'll miss you, Dad, or our time was short, Dad. Nothing. He just stands there. 
Corsair is glad that Scott and Alex are not joining him because he's a warrior, he's a pirate, and that isn't the life that he wants for his sons. Scott, speaking for both of them, says, we'll miss you, Dad. My brother would talk, but I told him not to. <laughs> you have a, a wife, Scott. Take care of her. Alex, go, go back to that green-haired lady. Alex, I'm assuming she's your girlfriend. I don't know. You never speak to me. I have a secret to tell you. I never liked you. <laughs> <laughs> and I still don't. Goodbye. So they get on the transporter beam, and they are transported down to the surface, a la Star Trek. Scotty comes up, and he's like, Ugh, laddie, they're breaking up in the pattern. I cannot keep them together. Thanks, Dad, for showing us who we are and where we came from. We'll never forget you and never stop loving you. Well, honestly, where you came from was Earth, which is where you're going back to and actually where I found you, so... Uh, you oh, know, no, don't you, don't you see Scott is pointing at Corsair's crotch <laughs> as he says that. Ah, so he meant like the literal where we came from. <laughs> yes. Thanks for showing us your crotch, Dad. Every son should see where he comes from, Dad, and, and you've given me that gift. Thanks a lot. Well, so off they go. Lilandra and Corsair share a tear before they warp out of the galaxy. Scott thinks this is it. They were going off to die. We're six against the might of the galaxy, Corsair. He has a point. We can still quit, Lilandra. I'm tempted, but I can't. In my case, I don't want to. Let's go die. Not sure what Corsair means by that. I don't either. Suddenly he has a death wish. I thought he was a free booting pirate. What does he care about this whole galaxy? Yeah, I, I kind of want to know. But not enough. And I'm wondering, is Chris like now begging Jim Shooter, like, come on, now's our chance to launch the Star Jammer Galactic War series. It could be a huge crossover. We'll call it, I don't know, Secret Wars or something. <laughs> well, that's when Jim Shooter's like, hmm, Secret Wars. I like Wars. that title. <laughs> no, we can't do that. But I've got an idea. So, uh, meanwhile, back on the planet's surface, um, some people are at the, uh, what, the ballet. There's a ballet. Yeah. Everybody, with the X-Men have a connection to the ballet through... Uh, Stevie. Stevie. Stevie Hunter. So, that's, I don't know. It, it's a Colossus, a Kitty, Nightcrawler, and Amanda Sefton. They're all going to the ballet. There's some dialogue back and forth between them all. Yeah, Nightcrawler implies that Kitty and... Uh, Peter are going to make out. Yeah. Girl, we wouldn't. Oh, pity. Yeah, pity I would. <laughs> <laughs> I like kissing. <laughs> and so Amanda and Nightcrawler walk off to the ballet. Amanda's like, you shouldn't tease her. And that's and, when Nightcrawler's and, <laughs> like, you know who I think my mom is? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I am randomly thinking about Mystique this issue. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> it's really weird, but you know, she looks like me and I, I don't. I never met my mom, so you know, couldn't maybe? Couldn't it be? This is one big coincidence. Mm -hmm. Here she is appearing in this issue, and now I'm thinking about her. Amanda's like, I know what mom told you. She found you newborn and barely alive in a roadside shelter in the Black Forest. A man, your father, I guess, lay outside. Yep, but then, uh... The leader of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, Mystique, looks like me, and when I asked her if there was a connection between us, she said, ask your mom. Ask Margalis Dardos. 
So there's full circle, sort of. Like, we did see that, and we met Margoli Sardoz, which turns out to be Amanda's mother and Nightcrawler's foster mother, which is weird. <clears throat> and, and now we've, we've it's like she's, hey, by the way, remember this thing happened. <clears throat> so, so there you go. I, I wonder why she doesn't, he doesn't, well, either of them don't ask Margoli Sardoz. Oh, well, I guess Amanda here says... Mom's in Grafberg. We can phone her tomorrow. She doesn't have her powers anymore. She hung out with Doctor Strange for too long. Yeah, we read about that on this podcast. <laughs> so Kitty and Nightcrawler, they're they're walking to the ballet. Uh, they're taking the the uh, dumpster path. It looks like they had to park pretty far away, but correct. Peter's okay with it. It's Manhattan, after all. Yeah. Um. Kitty's grumpy, and she says, It's these series of experiments I've begun with Doug Ramsey, a friend from dance class. He's into computers like me, only especially software. I'm the hardware, nuts and bolts freak. We're trying to, and let me know if I get too technical. What the heck? Explosion, Lennon's ghost. Ah. That's not how it happens, Adam. It goes, let me know if I get too technical. What the heck? Lennon's ghost, an explosion, and then, Boom! I was doing it more realistically. Yeah, but I'm doing it in the context of which they've laid it out for us. Yeah, sometimes comics are not they 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 they're depicting simultaneousness. The boom, the words boom are critically displayed in between the uh, top balloon of Kitty and the bottom balloon of uh Peter. Okay. And I, and I think that's done on purpose so that you kind of are drawn from balloon to explosion down to Peter's uh, word balloon. Yeah, except, Adam, that she says, what the heck, before the boom goes off. Yeah, I know. (laughs) All right. I'm not going to argue. You're right. But still, it's it's funny to read it my way. (laughs) Uh, Colossus is like, I can hear screams. People are injured. We got to do something. So they head on up there. Colossus... Uh, transforms into his metal self, tearing up his clothes. He runs into the building, and he's like, Oh, my, uh, there must be squatters living here illegally. I hope they're not hurt. Who is Doug Ramsey? I'm so jealous. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I want to point out that he says, uh, Peter says, Lennon's ghost again, and that that is quickly replacing by the White Wolf. Oh, well, he'll use both interchangeably as we go forward. Oh, uh, and he pops into one of the room, and that's when he sees and hears the familiar voice. Surprise, sucker. <laughs> Blob. Ain't it wonderful what these days with holographic projections and fancy dance special effects, you can make a body believe pretty near anything. This was a trap. Uh-huh. How did you make that sound effect? It sounded like an explosion. Well, it was... It was... It was... It's more than just a holographic projection. It was it was also a, a stereo symphonic sound. Fancy dance special effects, Adam. Yeah, I, I know. <laughs> but it's more complicated than that. Is all I'm saying. Well, and apparently uh, only the uh, Kitty and Colossus heard the explosion because really there's no other people reacting to it that we can when, see. Anyways, that's when Blob sm- stops Colossus's punch and then smacks him outside of the building. Yeah, he goes flying, and uh, Kitty's on the phone, getting ready to make a phone call, and she looks up, and she's like, oh, no! And that's when Phoenix, a bird of living fire, grabs a hold of Colossus. That It, it, it definitely does give you that impression, but uh, Colossus quickly points out, this is Pyro's doing. This uh, bird of living fire is not Phoenix. How confusing. Why do they keep using birds of fire? 
it is it is confusing. <laughs> Hopefully the reader recognizes that this bird, although it is a bird of living fire, does not look the same. It does not look the same, and it's it's yellow instead of red, like the phoenix effect uh, would be. But I wonder if uh, John Romita was like, I want to draw a phoenix, and Chris is like, eh, I got to put my foot down. Like, we already kind of did that whole thing, and... <laughs> And we revisited it just like a couple of issues ago, to, to be honest. So how about a bird of fire from a guy named Pyro? Maybe. I mean, that is kind of weird because they could do other things made of fire. It could be a lion of fire, Adam. It could be anything of fire. A giant ant made of fire. Oi, hot enough for you, Cobba? I'm afraid it's only the beginning, says Pyro. The creature has a sufficient substance to hold me, but not enough for my punches. To affect it, try as I not, I cannot big break free. And we get, uh, he, he, Colossus turns red hot and then white hot to incandescence. He's often wondered what his upper limits of his strength are. And can he can, melt? Can he melt? And if um, so, what will that do to his human self? But let's, before we, let's go back just a little bit, because what they're saying here is that this bird of fire has enough fiery mass that it can hold on to a, I don't know, 400 pound man of living steel. Yeah. It's, it's fire. Like, I, I understand it would be dangerous. It would be hot. It could even be deadly, but I don't see how it could tangibly hold on to something. That is a good point that I did not initially think of. And Colossus does try to explain it away, right? The creature has sufficient substance to hold me, but not enough for my punches to affect it. Eh, I just don't buy it. It's kind of weak. Yeah. I mean, it's a comic book. (laughs) (laughs) No, Adam. This actually happened for realsies. Anyways, uh, uh, he he goes shooting down towards the ground, and uh, it, when he lands, he's like, "Well, I don't understand. Why did Pyro let Pyro's monster drop me?" Unless his existence is maintained by Pyro through force of will, I couldn't hurt it. But my resistance must have affected him through that silent, worn him out. Why do I know so much about Pyro? <laughs> yeah. What is all this gibberish? I'm thinking it, it it's a lot of uh, techno babble that uh, I think just gets all retconned. <laughs> Uh, yes, Pyro uh, has the ability to control fire. He doesn't have the ability to create fire, um, but I don't believe he's got any sort of side link with his creatures he creates out of fire. I think he's just like, uh, Oi, I just like birds. <laughs> flame on with my flamethrower, because I'm not like that torch guy. I can't just make the flame. I can just control it. Colossus is now on the ground worrying about Avalanche showing up because he knows he's the big threat of the Brotherhood. And that's when Avalanche shows shows up. His arms both fully functioning. Oh, that's right. Weren't they broken? I think at least one of them was broken. Maybe they were both broken. I don't remember. Didn't he like break them himself using his Avalanche powers or something? Did he or... Or did Hulk do it? I don't know. It had something to do with Hulk. Yeah, I don't remember. So he's, he's better now. So he comes on and he's like, uh, uh, I'm going to finish this off. Have you ever wondered what would happen if to something as hard as you, if you, as you've made Colossus dunked into near absolute zero cold? What? Because you're what, about, what, I don't know. What I don't nationality know. is Avalanche? Uh, I'm going to say he's Australian. Well, but that's what Pyro is. I thought Pyro, uh, Pyro was British. No, he's Australian. Oh, well, then Avalanche is British. <laughs> uh, Maybe they're both Australian. Why can't they both be Australian? They're just Australian buddies. I don't think they're buddies. Oh. 
<laughs> well, he says, wash closely, my friend, because we're about to learn. So they're clearly buddies. No, Adam, lots of people say my friend. Speaking of friends, where's Eunice? <gasps> I don't know. Who He was friends with Blob. Maybe Blob's mm. got him at like his shack. And he's like, <laughs> I'm going to go out with the X-Men and make some money. I'll be back, buddy. You and me forever. Like that Hulk issue we was in. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yeah. Bring me back a, some food and force feed it to me. <laughs> Push it through my force field. Uh, yeah, so a la Terminator 2, the... Well, that was different. That was that was liquid metal getting frozen and then with with nitrogen and then uh and then heating up and then getting thrown like so these forces never actually combined the liquid metal got frozen and then there was enough heat that it melted uh back so that he could be normal and then he got thrown into a lava pit i'm just saying that just like terminator Two, the liquid nitrogen comes out and hits colossus and and we know like i think the white hot part of it's irrelevant yeah that's what i'm trying that's what i'm getting at is that although i think if you take metal and you superheat it and then you super chill it i think it's it's definitely more brittle and uh prone to to, yeah doesn't it explode well it could or it could just like be super brittle and cracked and 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 essentially no good oh my but yeah, so we we before we find out what happens, so we flip our attention over to Kitty, who's running down the uh, alleyway, and she's running towards uh, the action, and she phases through a wall, and she sees Peter, and Peter is frozen and actually a little bit cracked. So yeah, that's not good. So when he was hit by that liquid nitrogen, he was essentially turned into a uh, a broken up statue. How how on earth is Colossus ever going to make it through this one? Colossus is always getting his butt kicked. Because, you know, I mean if I'm if I'm Avalanche, I I'm I I use my power to hit an avalanche. <laughs> that coming through and some boulders hit him and, and Colossus shatters and he's friggin' dead. Yep. There's uh that's the end of the issue. Uh there's a uh, a really dumb assistant editor. I was gonna skip that. Because yeah. <laughs> it's in uh, assistant editors week, there's a dumb dumb thing about assistant editors. But yeah. Next issue, Hell Hath No Fury. So yeah, I guess we're uh we're we're getting the band back together for a Brotherhood of Evil Mutants rematch. Oh yeah. Which I'm good with because I, I like the brother the new Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Oh yeah. I know you do. <laughs> I know that you know that I know that I do. It's yeah, alrighty. We know things about each other. Oh yeah. So we also, uh, well, not also, but we got some uh, letters that we would like to cover for you and ourselves. For we got, me? For you. All right. We got a letter from a person from Romania. Adam, I'd like you to take a stab at this person's name. Ooh, I see. <laughs> um, no, nah, I don't want to be rude. I want to try to get the pronunciation right. No, but- no. If, if anything, this just points to our ignorance. Um, I'm going to go with... Ian okay. Ostina. Oh, that's that's way better than I would have even attempted to pronounce it. Um, so, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of like, uh, there's like a little squiggly line under the S and a, a little squiggly line above the A. So, I don't know what that means. Well, you probably add some like Bostinia or something like that to the end of it, right? Just little, Oh, yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah, 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 that's probably true. Probably, I don't know. Although, wouldn't that be over the N? Look, I don't know. <laughs> Let's just read the letter. 
Okay. Uh, greetings and salutations from Ramo- uh, from Romania. <laughs> Ramonia. <laughs> from Ramonia. Let's just pronounce everything wrong. So it's like uh, we just can't get anything right. Um, from Romania. Uh, and I have a question for Ian, who's from uh, Romania. How is Dr. Doom and how have you talked to him recently? Is that Romania? I thought that was like Doomstadt. It's Latveria, but Latveria. I'm yeah. sure Latveria and Romania are like right next to each other. <laughs> I am sending you this message to congratulate you on your X Men podcast. I've listened to the first dozen or so episodes, and I find it both funny and well thought out at the same time. You've just won yourself a new fan. Keep up the good work. Well, Ian, uh, if that is how you pronounce your name, greetings from the future. You may not hear this for a very long time, uh, but when you do, we we want to know how to phonetically pronounce your name. Yes, welcome. Because because we're we're horrible Americans, <laughs> Adam. All right, we're decent Americans. We're, I, as as far as Americans go, I, I think we do all right. We're we're in the top ten percent. Ten 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 percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe the bottom of the top ten, but definitely in the top ten. <laughs> um, I just stumbled. This comes from Kayla King, uh, also through email. I just stumbled across your podcast, and it's awesome. I'm an avid fan of the classics, and I've actually been reading X Men from the first issue uh, on my own for a while now. I'm a fantasy writer and a psychology major minoring in criminal criminal justice. And she has always been interested uh, to analyze the X-Men from both a psychological and a literary perspective. Um, so, and she's, she's got a, she's, she's got a link uh, that she sent us to her Indiegogo of her novel. So uh, we, we can plug that. Yeah. I, I don't, I'm not going to say the link because it, it, it would be tough, but if you go to Indiegogo and you just type in Wolf's War, W O L F apostrophe S space war, it should, it should take you to her book. Yep. And as of the recording of this podcast, there are 46 days left in this Indiegogo. So plenty of time to back the project. Um, but yeah, the psychological and literary perspective. I mean, I, I think that's what the X-Men are all about. Certainly why I'm interested in them, I guess. Right. Don't you think? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, we, we, we have, we have another fan who sent us those books. Joseph J. Dorowski wrote, uh, X-Men and the mutant metaphor race and gender in the comic books. So that almost sounds right up your, your alley, Kayla. Uh, this book you can pick up off of Amazon. And he also sent us the Ages of the X-Men Essays on the Children of the Atom uh, in Changing Times, which is edited by uh, himself, Joseph Gorowski, and uh, several essays uh, from other other people. So, yeah, I mean, there's definitely a interest in a, uh, uh, I don't know if I want to say a market, but definitely a niche for this type of exploration. And honestly... You know, now is probably the time to strike because comic book movies are hot and are getting more and more popularized that if somebody's like super into the movies and and maybe they can't get their hands or their head around all the comic books because there are so many of them, uh, maybe they would pick up one of these psychological and literary perspective novels of the X-Men and be like, oh yeah, I see what they're getting at here. But I did did want to say to Kayla that we're not very intellectually minded but uh we are we are a good resource for nerdy things yes uh we also got a facebook message from cantalemu la <clears throat> um 
And this person says, never stop with the podcast, guys, because I just can't get enough of it. I don't understand why you guys aren't more popular. Maybe you should upload more episodes to YouTube. That's how I found you in the first place. Uh, to that, I can only say we uploaded some content to YouTube and they have barely any hits. <laughs> so creating YouTube content is a lot of work. And when you get a very little return on that work, it makes you less uh, uh, inclined to do that additional work. So it's, yeah, we were actually going to make a second video a long time ago, and we never did. But that's on me. It's like a snake eating its own tail, right? You know, I still have all the footage. <laughs> Adam, you should do that. Yeah, but yeah. here's here's what I would like to say. You know, a lot of people, a lot of people do the crowdfunding thing, the Indiegogos, and uh, uh, GoFundMe, and and whatever else is out there. But I'd like to take a new approach. I'd like to do crowd sourced podcast team, right? So we already have our social media communications director, who is... Edward Gibson, our Twitter guy. Yes. I think it's time to go to the next step, right? We need a... Content facilitator? <laughs> a content facilitator. I'm trying to put management titles in here, right? Like chief communicator, chief uh, social media director, right? Edward Gibson. Well, you could always throw the word manager in there if you're looking for management yeah, titles. Yeah, I'd like to play it more to the closer to the chest there. You know, manager just seems too much like, oh, I'm manager at McDonald's. Right? I don't want to go that route. I want to go with like uh, 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 head uh, social advertising director. Uh, good words are engineer, uh, developer, architect. Ooh, ooh. Um, we need a crowdsourced social advertising director. I like that's it's very long, but I like it. And and that per that the position doesn't pay anything. Oh, oh no, we we make no money. Therefore, right. no one does. But it's but it's like Indiegogo or GoFundMe uh, or those other ones, right? The more you give, the more you get, right? So that's what I'm putting out here, Adam, is is calls to to some of our listeners who who want to do more than just listen to the podcast, but get involved. And and just like Mew asks about why we're not more popular, we just need the people that listen to get involved, to work with us, to be like, I'm going to be your advertising director and I have a clever way to advertise for you guys for free. I'm not saying we need people to like go spend money on us. That's not what I'm saying at all. Need people to spread the word and come up with clevering, clever Twitter phrases or whatever the kids do. Uh, yeah. <laughs> or, or if you've gone to our website and you're like, Meh, this website's okay. Like if you could do better, we could use your help. Things like that. We also got a voicemail from Russ Resendez. He says, Hey, my name is Russ Resendez. I just want to let you guys know that I really enjoy your podcast. And I've been, I mean, a lot of people will chuckle while they're listening to a comedy podcast, but I wouldn't consider you guys a comedy podcast, but I will still laugh at your voices, your comments. It's kind of the uh, endearing characteristic of your program is that uh, I've always been a lover of X-Men and uh, Wolverine in particular, he started me off. I mean, my first time uh, reading a comic book was off of the uh, spinning rack in a 7-Eleven that was near my uh, father's business. And I was six years old. My parents were going through a divorce and I discovered comic books. And 
X-Men in particular were very instrumental in my appreciation for everything that I found in comic books. I would always compare to the X-Men. And I just want to thank you guys for creating this podcast and keep doing what you're doing. Hey, thanks, Russ, for the voicemail. We love we love getting those. As you've asked, we, we will continue doing this show at least until we stop. Yes, for sure. <laughs> we can guarantee that. So with that, uh, if you'd like to get in contact with us, you may do so by going to DangerRoom at RedCatProductions.com. That's email. You can visit us at www.XMenPodcast.com. Go off onto iTunes. Type in Danger Room into the search box for the first podcast that comes up. You can subscribe to us there. Leave us feedback. Leave us a rating. You can uh, connect to us uh, through Internet Radio on Stitcher. And you can follow us at Danger Room Go. Or we're also on Facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. And just as Russ did, you can leave us a voice message at 501 get X-Men. We love the messages. Um, Ask us funny questions. Yeah. We should do a whole episode uh, where we collect questions from the listeners. So in about three years, when we get all those questions, we can answer them. (laughs) Ask us really invasively personal questions. (laughs) Yes. Um, Speaking of invasive, I read Dazzler. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty invasive. Uh, It's Dazzler number 30, uh, and right on the cover it says, Beware, it's Assistant Editor's Month. And boy, they're not kidding. (laughs) On the cover of this, it's another one of those fancy-dancy painted covers. You've got um, two images of Dazzler and a handsome man. I'm assuming it's that actor guy from the last issue. And uh, they are, uh, well, uh, Dazzler is roller skating in front of like a Camaro or a Firebird, I guess. That's dangerous. It does seem very dangerous. And there's an arrow pointing towards San Diego. It's like one of those Indiana Jones travel things. Here's what I can say about this issue. Nothing of any relevance or importance happens. But uh, That's fair. In the last episode, last issue that we heard about, uh, the airplane was being shot at. She was in the airplane with this actor guy. The pilot was killed. The airplane's crashing. She used her dazzle blast to hit the other pilot. He went crashing towards the mountain. And so now she's dealing with repercussions of that. She's able to find a parachute, and she's able to safely get her and the actor guy to the ground. They're raced off to the hospital where that actor dude's like, hey, he's signing uh, autographs and stuff, and uh, Dazzler's all disillusioned with this whole thing, and, and she's had enough, and she's really upset at her sister's father, who I guess would be her father, although it wasn't quite... No, no, her sister is from the same mother, so it's like a... Stepfather? Eh, sort of. Sort of. Her sister's father. Whatever. Anyways, her sister's father has basically been setting up this, is like a big Hollywood agent, and he had set Dazzler up with the actor guy as kind of like a present. Uh, But now he realizes that that guy's on his way out, and this is a perfect opportunity for Dazzler to step in, and Dazzler's like, ugh, I'm sick of all this. I'm I'm leaving. I'm heading back to New York. But she's got no money. Uh, Just what happens with Dazzler. So as she's walking towards a bus stop to try to see if she can get back, she meets a man named Ralph, who's on his way to some sort of a convention in San Diego. Is it Ralph Macchio? We don't know yet, but yes, it's Ralph Macchio. (laughs) And, uh, you know, they talk about this comics convention, or not this convention, 
Oh, and he does say, I'm going to a comics convention. Yeah. And so uh, he ends up giving her $20 and she, whatever. The military now, we find out, is who was behind the attack on the airplane. And they have suspected that Dazzler is a mutant. And now they've got the confirmation from the Dazzle Blast that she shot from the airplane. So now they want to use their weapon. And they want to test it on Dazzler. There's a whole lot of assistant editor crap that's going on. Um, Bob, Bob, Bob Harris uh, is in his office. So now we're in the Marvel bullpen and everyone's making fun of Bob because Bob can't make any decisions without Ralph. And Ralph calls Bob every day. So they're all making fun of him. And uh, finally, Bob snaps after two pages of harassing. He's like, you know what? I am going to do what I want. And so he's going to make some changes around the office since Ralph's away. It's really bad, Adam. I'm so glad they never did this assistant editor thing ever again. Well, they did. Did they? Yeah. Ugh. This is a recurring Marvel thing. I hate this. Anyways, uh, Ralph uh, is trying to get to a phone so that he can talk to Bob because Bob doesn't do anything without Ralph. But everyone at the Comic-Con is like, it's Ralph Macchio. I want an autograph. Blah, blah, blah. And he's like, oh, I can't get to the phone. So... Bob is now storming around the office. He's like, I'm going to make some changes around here. And he's asking for all these outlandish, outrageous things. Meanwhile, the military shows up. They find Dazzler. And they're like, there she is. And uh, Dazzler, um, they set up this contraption in the comics convention. And I guess it's supposed to exacerbate a mutant's powers so they display those powers. And then they can go find them and go take them out. Um, So Dazzler is starting to feel these effects. And so is one of the military men. He's like, oh, I feel funny. And he ends up, uh, since he's standing right next to the machine, turning into like a giant purple alligator. And they're all like, oh, my God, he's a mutant. I never knew this would happen. So this giant purple alligator is tearing through the San Diego Comic-Con. Dazzler basically fights him. And uh, she realized what's happened. Like, he, he was affected just like she was. And he feels bad for him. Uh, and also she's able to save Ralph Macchio, who was about to be, um, have like some pillars toppled on him and she's able to give him back the $20 he lent to her and they, they part ways and Ralph Macchio finds a telephone. It's like the lone structure standing in the middle of this wreckage. It's a telephone booth standing against the wall. She gets up there. She calls Bob Harris and Bob's like, I want all the dialogue balloons colored red and i want a photo of me in the trademark box of every cover and he gets the phone and it's it's ralph and he's like oh all right and so everything goes back to normal and the issue ends and not only that in the little little box the little marvel box it's uh it's i think it's ralph macchio uh in in roller skates oh yeah they do stuff like that uh as a matter of fact the the guy was there an x-men one oh i don't not this issue Oh, okay. The guy that is above the Camaro could very well be a, a painting of Ralph Macchio. <laughs> you don't think that's the the famous guy that Dazzler's hanging out with? I don't know, because he only gets like two panels in this whole issue. Mm. Um, but yeah, so the only I guess the only interesting thing here is the more mutant hysteria. Also, I, I this is going to be for people that are really paying attention. I was talking about the... Um, Penciler Frank Springer. He used to be the writer and the penciler, uh, but now Ken McDonald's scripting and Frank Springer is penciler. So it's like every issue that we've read, 
um, Frank Springer's role has been reduced. I mean, that happens. I'm, I'm not. I'm not sure. Like, do you know something? No, that I don't. You're you're referring to no. Uh, oh, no, I don't. I don't know cause, anything because I mean sometimes I think it's the, a conspiracy. I, I don't think they like Frank right. Springer. I think they're trying to fire him. Okay. I think I think it's Ralph Macchio who's like Frank Springer can die in a fire. <laughs> but we got to get these Dazzler issues finished. No, I just whatever. I noticed it and it was interesting. That's it. That's Dazzler. So a couple more episodes before you have to hear that tripe again. <laughs> so I did uh, Alpha Flight number six, which was a snowboard issue. Nothing terribly relevant happens here, but I would like to point out that one, two, three, four, five, uh, five and a half, like just about six pages happen in a snowstorm and all they feature is uh, word balloons and captions and sound effects. So that's either really clever and creative or super lazy. It's like a combination because <laughs> the panel layouts are really actually kind of interesting. Okay. But it's just very lazy. <laughs> uh, it, yeah. Okay. I can see that. Uh, I read New Mutants number 11, which uh, features the birth of magma and a battle against Selene. Um, we learn that Selene's power is to bring inanimate things to life. And she is also a soul vampire which i feel like is just something that chris claremont really digs he keeps bringing it back it's the soul vampire (laughs) soul vampire uh the new moons and magma fight them roberto uh finds his mother and discovers that his father is working for the hellfire club which makes him really angry the new mutants make their way underground to where Celine is and they fight her uh, Roberto stabs her in the chest, attempting to kill her. It does not kill her. Uh, but then he picks her up and throws her into a pit of lava and then causes an earthquake to cover her. And everybody's like, whoa, you totally just killed her. And he's like, well, she deserved it. And, uh, and you know, she's probably not really dead. Don't know how he knows that. I mean, he's right, to be fair. But, it- uh... Yeah, he, he, Roberto totally just like killed her and they glossed over it. Who did, I'm sorry, who did he kill? Celine. Oh, no, she's not dead. Uh, yeah, no, I know she's not dead, <laughs> but there's no reason that he should know that she's not dead. But he's like, yeah, I killed her. She deserved it, but she's probably not dead. Um, uh, what about if there's a way to destroy her? None of us know it, is what he says. What about, uh, karma? Was it karma? No, not. Which one of them is dead? So uh, Shan. Is she still dead? She's still dead. You know, there was another... Uh, it, remember Professor uh, Xavier's mysterious child? No. Remember there, uh, some woman approached Moira McTaggart and was like, this is a professor, I can't approach Charles Xavier because this is his son, he's a crazy mutant. No. You don't remember that from the first few issues of New Mutants? No. Well, that plot has been dropped, so oh. I don't know if it's going to appear like in the next few issues. I mean, I'm assuming it will be, or maybe it'll show up in the pages of X-Men. But yeah, somewhere out there, the professor has an illegitimate child that Moira McTaggart is actually helping with or has just abandoned. I always thought that, wait, Legion. Isn't Le- Legion is Moira's son? No, uh, Proteus is Moira's son. Oh, okay. Isn't there Legion, some- Le- Legion is the professor's son, so maybe that is... 
Oh, okay. Who, who we're talking about, but I wouldn't know. Spoil- spoilers. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Rewind that bit. <laughs> <laughs> I also read Defenders number 127, which essentially is X Factor at this point, minus Cyclops and Jean Grey. The, cent- the main central characters are uh, the three X-Men, Hank, McCoy, Warren Worthington and Bobby Drake, who are visiting Bobby Drake's parents because Bobby wants to drop the bomb that he's getting back into the superhero biz. His parents are like, we don't want you to get back into the superhero biz. And then he says, uh, you guys almost got killed a hundred times. This is War, uh, Bobby's father. He says, sorry, Warren, I didn't mean to yell at you. You know, when you three boys were first at Professor Xavier's school, your teacher blinked out our memories of your mutant powers. I don't know how right that was. But at least Maddie and me weren't worrying ourselves sick all the time. Because when Bobby finally did tell us about the X-Men, well, we were a couple of nervous wrecks. Wondering when the phone would call, come telling our boy had been murdered by some crazy supervillain. Did you say uh, that this is Warren's father? No, I said this is Bobby's father. Oh, okay, okay. All right, carry on. And uh, that's when Bobby says, Iceman lives again! Bursting out of his clothes. I don't don't know why he needs to be so dramatic. He could have just said, yeah, I'm I'm Iceman again without turning into Iceman. But I guess it's a comic. Yeah. His mom faints. Then we cut to the, uh, what is it? The secret society? Oh. Is that, is that what it is? The secret empire. Yeah. 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 And we learn, we figure out who the new number one is who stepped in to take over the place of the old number one. Number one is now Professor Power. Oh, my God. <laughs> it all comes together. It's full circle. Yeah, so uh, he's he's going to get revenge on the world for all, of, all the bad things that the professor did to him. He wants to get vengeance for his son whose body he inhabits. Oh. He looks in a mirror and he's like, soon, Matthew, soon. It's weird. Sounds weird. Um, A woman escaped the secret empire. Her name is Cloud. And uh, some big robot monsters come after her. The defenders try to help her out, but they get handily stomped and uh, they escape with Cloud. Hmm. So that's, that's where this ends. They basically get trounced. Bobby says, this never happened in accounting school. Bobby spends a lot of his time in... When, it, when he's not in his Iceman form, he's just a, a man in underwear and sometimes gloves. It's strange. He's young. He's experimenting. Yeah, I guess. There's some more assistant editor stuff. And um, we get we get the assistant editors in that in the box. Uh, the Similar to the Dazzler box, this assistant editor, who I believe is Marie Severinsen or Anne Nascenti. I don't know which one it is, actually. It's one of these two. Okay. But she, uh, she, her head is on Angel's body. Those funny assistant editors. Yeah. Yeah. Really funny. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah. We're not X-Men anymore, Dad, and we're not boys. We know how to take care of ourselves. We've been at it long, gave this game longer than most. I'm really good at freezing things and then having them burst out of ice. I'm not very efficient. <laughs> so, yeah, that that's all I got this week. All right, well, I don't have anything else. So, Adam... It's good. I, I like the Defenders. It's, it's, it's turned out to be fun. I don't think it's going to last very long. I think it's got another 30 or 40 issues. Get out of here, really? I don't know what the last issue. I think issue the Defenders was. might, but what, what, uh, we just finished with X Men number one seventy 
72? 77. Uh, all right. So you've got... Yes, X-Factor is coming soon. You've got 23 but I, more I think defenders. Issues. I think Defenders will last all the way up until X-Factor. Oh, yeah. Yes, it definitely does, Adam. I know that for a fact. Okay. <laughs> Defenders uh, transitions fairly smoothly right into X-Factor, to be honest. Okay. It it practically is X-Factor at this point. So, All right. Well, uh, then, until next time, my name is Jeremy. My name's Adam. And the Danger Room is closed. Danger Room.